0: And they think, oh, if, if I have all this infrastructure in place, I won't have to do the basics. And sadly, the basics is asking people will they buy your stuff. Power to Live More with Joe Dodds.
1: Welcome to the Power to Live More podcast. All about productivity, organization, well-being, energy and resilience. I'm Jo Dodds and I started this show back in 2016 to enable interesting people to share their stories about how they use their power to live more and by that I mean how they focus on productivity, organisation, well well-being, energy and resilience to enable them to do more of the stuff that they want to do and less of the stuff that they don't. After 241 shows, I've taken a pause from doing new interviews to reshare previous interviews. They were too good to not revisit. So please do bear in mind that this podcast might refer to events from the past as current or in the future. But rest assured that the stories, tips and advice shared by my guests continues to be pure gold. Hello, my name is Ellie Dodds and I'm co-presenter and today Joy's is interviewing Julie Creffield. Julie was introduced to us by Heather Waring from show number 172. Julie is a community engagement strategist and business mentor who has been building Tribe online and off for more than 25 years. As a single mum, she grew her plus-size fitness blog, Too Fat to Run, into a globally recognised coaching business and has helped millions of women worldwide to improve their physical and mental well-being. With a passion for bringing people together around a common cause, she now helps small business owners create their own movements that matter, and is on a mission to create an army of compassionate leaders. Back to the studio. Today I'm interviewing Julie Craffield. Welcome Julie, thanks for joining me. Hey. Tell us, to begin with, who you are, what you do, and crucially, where you do it.
0: Sure. So I am Julie Crefield. I am a community engagement strategist and business coach and I love communities. I love bringing people together and I'm based in Stratford in East London.
1: Oh, lovely. So not too far away from me, as I was saying before we came on at the other end of the the high speed that they said would stop just up the road and it doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) But I get you in like i think 40 minutes or something so that's not <laughs> yeah. and, and my daughter's desperate to go to your shopping center <laughs>
0: yeah well it was quite um because i've lived in this area a long time and when westfield come along yeah it was quite a cultural change you know to have places that we could go out for food and a cinema and stuff like that so i'm definitely not complaining although i don't go there that often now
1: no no exactly so Tell us a bit about how your business came about. I I often say to my guests, you know, did you want to do this when you left school? And most of my guests, it's the sort of job that we didn't know existed, you know, back in the day. And I think yours is probably similar. Um, But I know there's an interesting story uh, to your early days as well. So tell us more.
0: Sure. So it's, it's easy on reflection to look back and see all the telltale signs. But you're right, you know, at school, there wasn't a job like the one that I do now um but I've always loved bringing people together which is odd because I have I come from a really big family there were six kids and so you would think that that would be enough you know and that I would never get bored of people but Mm -hmm. I was very different to my siblings um was probably too ambitious for my own good and I was quite smart and interested in lots of things. So I was always trying to find interesting people who had similar interests to me. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was always kind of bringing, you know, the kids in off the street to do different projects and I'd create little clubs and, you know, it's hardly any wonder I do the work that I do now when I look at the type of kid that I was back then. Mm -hmm. But I was quite um, a naughty kid as well. So at school you know, I I was told I wasn't very academic. um, And my only subject that I really liked at school was drama. So I just went down that route. I um, did a BTEC in drama and just did very kind of practical courses. I never thought I'd go to uni or anything like that. And then a tutor said, you know, why are you not going to uni? You're very smart. And so I ended up going to university, first person from my family, and I got a first class degree. And so it's interesting that to be told you're not academic and then to go on and do that and then to get a master's afterwards, you know, I was academic. I just wasn't challenged in the right way. Um, And so the early part of my career was around kind of using the arts to help engage various communities in making sense of the lives that they had really. So I'd go into schools and community groups and worked with all sorts of kind of at risk young people um, and help them tell their stories whether that was through filmmaking or drama or dance or photography a real kind of mixed bag really Um, and I did that for a number of years working for various different organizations as a freelancer and then the Olympics came to town and um, Mm -hmm. all of these contracts fell in my lap that were all to do with community engagement around the games and it didn't take long for me to become a you know a games time expert which you know you can't definitely can't go to university for that <laughs> um so i worked for about eight years on the olympics was very much involved in the policy making for the games maker program making sure that that workforce really was representative of london and not just the rich white people from you know the home counties that could afford to do it um and then i got made redundant so uh, i got made redundant the the day after the opening ceremony. Oh my goodness. Bit of a kick in the teeth. Um, And I was also seven months pregnant with my daughter, my first Um, child. So it was a real kind of roller coaster of emotions really. Um, And I felt quite lost after that because I'd worked on the games for such a long time and had this identity around it. And I was a bit like, God, what am I going to do? Like, I've got a small child to look after and I've got, you know, I can't freelance in the way that I used to, Uh Um, you know, it was a real challenging time, but I'd set up a couple of years prior, I'd set up a a running blog and it was never supposed to be a business. I was never supposed to make any money from it, but I was interested in running a marathon at some point and kept coming last in races. So I was like, Oh, let me write a blog about it. And by the time I'd been made redundant from my job, it had actually got quite a bit of traction. And so about six months after I had my daughter, I thought, I wonder if I can turn that blog into a business. And so that's what I did. I got a loan from the job center and I grew that business um, into a six figure coaching business, um, which had kind of clients all over the world and got featured on the telly and, you know, all that kind of fun stuff. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it was. You know, speaking about it like in that way, it sounds like it happened really quickly and smoothly, and all of those things. And of course, it never does. But it was a real roller coaster.
1: Yes, yeah, but but also, let's just get this right. You you created a business by coming last, in effect. Yes, yes. So that's not how most people start businesses, and certainly, you know, they're not the attitude um, or, or people's attitudes to coming last quite often isn't what
0: apparently yours was tell us tell us more about how that happened (laughs) so I think I'm not sure if I had come last previous to this but this is the big one I'd I'd gone to a local race um in a park near me didn't know anything about the race I just knew it was local and when I got there, I realised the mistake I'd made. It was a, it was a race that had been organised by the running club attached to the park. And so everyone there looked super, super speedy. And I was like, oh God, this is going to be embarrassing. Um, but I thought, look, just give it a go. Like what's the worst that could happen? And it turns out the worst that could happen is you get to the finish line and the finish line is packed up and everyone's gone home. So that yeah. is what had happened. <laughs> um, and I was, I don't know, I had a mixture of emotions. Firstly, I was like hugely embarrassed. And then a little bit angry, like, I paid good money for this race. And, you know, from from a health and safety perspective, it wasn't very good and all of that. But then by the time I got home, I could see the funny side of it. Um, And it was that afternoon that I set up the blog as a bit of a joke, just to kind of write about what had just happened. And what Um, was the blog called? The Fat Girl's Guide to Running. Yeah. And so... um, you know, this idea of you've got to come first to be a winner in life, I just think it's a really unhelpful narrative,
1: Yeah.
0: Um, because that was the narrative I had at school. So, you know, if you don't get all the top grades, then you're not worth anything. Um, in the workplace, it's the same. You've got the achievers, and then everybody else is, you know, useless. Yes. Um, and I just think leadership can look very different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm writing a book at the moment, um, called leading from the back and it 's about all of these issues around kind of failure and um, not having to be at the front all the time to be uh, deemed useful in life it's so it 's so topical with all the
1: discussion around um, diversity and inclusion as well because a lot of the narrative around diversity is around race and sex and and, and all the sort of obvious stuff, if you like um, but actually there 's a whole other undercurrent of exactly what you've just said which is sort of stereotypes of of what success looks like and yeah. and how you be the the leader as you say and I love I love the the title that you've you've just shared and I do wonder if if the pandemic and the fact that people have changed how they work and and so on I mean we were saying before we started that life hasn't changed that much for us other than in a positive business sort of way but you know people working in different ways, you know, people have to influence from a distance now that they didn't have to, and whether actually some of what you're going to be sharing is actually really of the moment.
0: Mm. I think it has been a leveller in some ways. I think some of the trappings of, you know, office politics and um, how you socialise outside of work and some of those things will definitely make it more of an equal Uh, playing field yeah
1: Um,
0: but it's this thing around having to put on a front having to always have this thought of how do I do well how do I progress how do I be seen to be somebody who has potential Um, you know how do I change my accent how do I dress appropriately Mm -hmm. Um, how do I be seen to have the right hobbies And, and it's this dumbing down in order to get success and what I've found to be true the more I lean into who I really, really am, like really, really am, like the bad bits too, that's when I get the success. Yeah. Like it's been a phenomenal awakening for me. You know, the, the, the more I embrace my accent, the way I appear, all of the, the bad things, that have, you know, the so-called bad things that have happened in my life it gives other people permission to go, do you know what, I'm also making excuses. Those excuses of, oh, I can't be a successful life coach or business coach unless I live in a big house or unless uh, I have a husband or unless I look this way or speak Mm -hmm. this way or, and it's just about challenging those ideas Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. in some ways taking personal responsibility. Yes, those constraints are out there, and it can be hard to push against them. But some of the biggest barriers are the ones that we have in our own head.
1: Yes, yeah.
0: Absolutely. Um, and I think I think the, the lockdown and all of those kind of things really made me re-look at what I would accept for my life.
1: Yes, yes. And we were saying before we came on, as I said, that, that, that this has been a, a, a great year for you in terms of business. And we were saying that you know it's it's difficult to have those or say those things in the current climate because so many people have been so you know awfully affected by the situation but also that it's important to celebrate the successes and actually show people that you know things are still possible and it's not all doom and gloom and so on yeah do you you think the challenge has the challenge of the the sort of environment has driven
0: some of that success or or was it just the timing just i I don't know I I think it's a combination of of those things. I think there was an element of, I had decided at the beginning of this year that this this was the year that all of the stuff I'd been working on was going to um, fall into place and I was gonna leverage all of the work that I'd done the past five years. Mm -hmm. So I'd already made the decision that this would be the year that I would double my income. And that was one goal, it was one part of what I wanted to do this year. And then when coronavirus started to unfold, I was like, are you kidding me? Are you? <laughs> like seriously, the, the year that I've got everything going for me, a global pandemic is gonna come and like ruin it. And I kind of allowed myself to have like twenty a 24 hour wobble where I cried and said it's not fair and journaled ferociously. <laughs> and then the next day I woke up and said, no, I'm not gonna let that make any difference um, to my plan um and what it helped me to do was get really clear on my mission
1: um
0: mm-hmm. and by really communicating that mission all of a sudden people were like actually julie was on to something because i've been talking about building communities online for the last you know five six years and everyone was like yeah 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 like it's, it's a nice to have and then the moment everyone was online and tried to sell their stuff and realized they didn't have an audience they were like oh maybe this tribe building stuff there's something more to it yeah. um, so yeah. i think there was a combination of more demand for the, for the yeah. services that i offer but i also think it was the fact that i didn't shy away from it i wasn't embarrassed to sell my stuff i mm-hmm. didn't discount i didn't give free places away mm-hmm. i was really clear on this is the value i have if you're serious about um pivoting your business um leveraging what you've already got let's work together yes. you know and the people that stepped forward were the ones that have absolutely thrived during this time and yeah. I think in every economic downfall, in every disaster, there are always people that come out of it okay. Mm. And we've got to get away from that being unethical. Yes, yeah. Because there's need, there will be need, you know. Um, and it's, I think in some ways it's just about deciding that there are opportunities everywhere always.
1: Mm-hmm. I do think I was talking with my um, guest from a couple of weeks ago, about um the concept of being intentional and i think mm. for me that's what the pandemic and the and the lockdown did i i got ridiculously busy you know I, i've said on the podcast on many occasions where everyone else seemed to be learning a new language or knitting yogurt i <laughs> didn't feel like i'd got a moment <laughs> to myself to do anything and and then wondered how i you know used to fit my life into to it before um but i do i do f- feel like I I cleared stuff out and I got really intentional about what was important and what I needed to do and and I stopped faffing around with the stuff that was getting in the way because it just I guess felt far less important given what was going on in the world sort of thing
0: and I think for me um I'm a single parent I've got a seven and a half year old she needs school There's no two ways about it. I could not homeschool her. It was just a ludicrous idea. Mm. In fact, on the last day of school, she cried and I was like, Oh, you know, what's wrong? And she said, "Uh, I don't want to be homeschooled because you can't do maths. And (laughs) you know, maths is her favorite subject. So she was genuinely, you know, traumatized. (laughs) Um, And it was hard keeping her occupied. We live in a two bedroom apartment. There's no outdoor space and keeping, you know, a kid that's into gymnastics and dance and all of that occupied and happy while also trying to run two businesses that were both growing and both needing my attention. It was hard. And I think it did make me super, super intentional. It was like, I am not responding to emails. That was Mm -hmm. the first thing that went. I'm not responding to emails. It takes too long. Um, I combined all of my coaching calls into one day. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are certain things that I, you know, even though she's gone back to school, I haven't picked up because I was like, they didn't make any difference to my business. All this stuff that I thought I had to do, um, I clearly didn't. Um, And I got really clear on what are the things that make me successful in my business? um, And let me just do more of that. Mm -hmm
1: absolutely yeah no absolutely that's exactly what what i i was doing and can i say i was thinking of you i didn't know anybody who had an apartment in london but i kept saying to people it's all well and good you know me having a garden and stuff i said but the people who haven't got gardens with children at home they must be really you know up against it trying to run businesses and everything else but i didn't know anybody so i'm glad we've met (laughs) Judy well do you know what
0: it was it was it was tough and i'll tell you why i was training for the london marathon in the lead up to yeah. um, lockdown and obviously it got cancelled uh-huh. and for me for my mental health I need to get outside of the house yeah. to get away from my child to you know to, to get into nature and all of those things yeah that was the one of the hardest things for me was mm. that I couldn't exercise and I couldn't get away from my child and that sounds awful but that was the honest truth and mm. yeah. it got to the point where I would. I would go and have a bath in the middle of the day because that was the only viable excuse to get out of the front room and not watch, you know, children's TV. Um, but yeah. it did give us a new, our relationship is stronger Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and we did make space of we do we have a tiny little balcony and we made that our oasis and we got a little hammock and you know we just used the space in a very very different way to what we have done previously um and I I took to running in my underground car park <laughs> and yeah. which you know and at one point i live streamed a 5k race uh, or a 5k run um and and rose was giving me my snacks and you know all of that kind of stuff um, so i don't know it, it, you've got to find the adventure where you can right yes
1: yeah yeah i can everything you've said so far you know we've only been speaking sort of 20 minutes i can see that you do that at every opportunity that's, that's yeah. such a good example so you mentioned two businesses
0: Yes, Tell me. Yeah. so um, so Two Factor Run is my plus-size fitness business. That's 10 years old. Uh, that turned 10 a couple of weeks ago. Congratulations. Um, so, <laughs> thank you. Um, and it feels like I'm just getting started with that. Like I've got a big vision to train up coaches, you know, using a kind of licensed model and to really help people see what health and happiness looks like mm. when you live in a bigger body. Um, so it's a, it's a really unique fitness business because the focus isn't just on the on the physical fitness. We talk a lot about mental health and well-being, um, you know, and mindset. Um, So that's one business. And then the other business is I work as a business coach. So Mm -hmm. I help small business owners to grow profitable tribes around their business. So I show them basically what I did with Two Factor Run, but I also bring in all of the community engagement strategies from offline. You know, there's a lot of coaches teaching online stuff, but actually there's a lot of Um, stuff around influence and um, leadership that you know you can learn from real groups out there rather than just these kind of online communities
1: yes I think that's a a really um, valuable sort of addition to the tribe community building stuff which you know people have been talking about you know ever since social media came along as if that's the only place that you've ever been able to do it
0: yeah and you can get really trapped in the tech like you can get really trapped in the, oh, you've got to have a funnel and you've got to have this and you've got to have this. And, and actually people are people, like whether they're on Facebook or in your front room, people's behaviors, the way they think. And that's what we're talking about on social media. They are not just pixels. They are human beings behind those pixels. And so when you think about online businesses in that way, it helps you to connect more with them and what they need, and you and what you need.
1: Mm-hmm. So, how do you integrate the fact that you've got two businesses and a life, <laughs> <laughs> um, and and um, prioritise between them? Because that that is often the key, isn't it? That sort of how do you decide what's most important in the moment to to do that thing? And that's even when you've only got one business and one life. Never mind two businesses. <laughs>
0: yeah. I'd like to say I have a system I don't really I have um a flow there's I would say there's a flow to my business so the running uh, the running business is very much dictated by the seasons and things that are in the running calendar
1: mm-hmm.
0: so traditionally be- between Christmas and April I am really focused on the running business and really busy in that business because of the mm-hmm. London marathon and yeah. all the kind of new year, new start and all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. The summer it tends to go quiet. It picks up a little bit in September again. So there is this kind of ebb and flow of that business. And because of the way I grew it, it doesn't belong to me. The community isn't my community. It's their community. So actually I just facilitate that business. Now I don't do a lot of work on it. Um, And in fairness, I probably need to find a business partner to help ramp things up a little bit Mm -hmm. um, because it has very much been ticking along. And during lockdown, I made the decision to not be actively selling in that community. So I devised a free of charge program called Thrive Inside, um, which was a bit of payback, really, because, you know, those clients had helped to grow my business and get me out of the, the, you know, the situation I'd found myself in. And I felt like it was the right thing to do mm. to offer something back during a time where they didn't really want to be paying for fitness stuff online, but desperately still needed it. Yeah. Um, and so I focused on the business coaching, which I know to be more profitable um, and easier for me to deliver. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and how do you then integrate that with, with the life bit of it? And I appreciate the last few months have been different and with homeschooling, <laughs> slightly yeah. different life too. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. things are changed now, schools are open again, all that sort of thing. How, how is that? Um, how, do you, how do you do that? I mean, it's not really about how it is to do with the pandemic, but you know, how do you generally, bearing in mind you work from home, yeah. sort of integrate it's things? Tough. About, you know, yeah. It's
0: tough. It's like, tough. It's not to say I don't have a life. But I love my work. Hmm. You know, I love my work. And so a lot of my social life is connecting with business buddies, clients, you know, particularly um, in the Professional Speakers Association, which I'm a part of. You know, a lot of my really dear friends are also in the business. Yes. And, And so... I don't know. Like, I love to travel. That's been the big, you know, yeah. that's been the big thing that I've missed this year. Is I tend to work really intensively and then take a heap of time off and go and travel. That's yeah. like the way I live my life, um, and that has been really challenging not being able to ex- escape and have some downtime. Mm-hmm. But I think that's for me now that I feel like I've escaped the feast and famine of growing an online business. It's where I want to focus my attention because there's Mm -hmm. no point in becoming a six, seven figure coach if all you ever do is work or you don't make time for dating or travel or reading or all of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm. So I don't know how I would have juggled it if we weren't in lockdown, Um, because prior to lockdown, I didn't actually enjoy spending much time in my apartment. So (laughs) unless I was working, I was out. Yeah. Whereas now I don't want to go out. Like even yeah. if I can, I'm not that keen. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think something has to change for me now. And I mm-hmm. think because I have had such a good year, like financially, I can breathe a little bit and make some decisions about what my next steps are. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So how do you work with your clients? If we think about the sort of business coaching, uh, sure. how does that, what does that look like? What does that make your days look like?
0: Yeah, I I am a massive fan of group programs. So facilitated coaching and training, um, which is kind of different to an online course. I'm not a massive fan of online courses because statistics show that, you know, less than 20% of people actually complete them. Um, And I think that leaves people feeling like, oh, I've wasted my money or I just never really reached it. I never got what I thought I would get from it. Um, And I think that adds to kind of, low self-esteem as a business owner if I'm being honest so I like fully f- facilitated programs which have a beginning and an end and the community aspect is a major part of it um, so most of the work that I do is in that format I've got a program called tribe builder I've got a program called one-to-many I have a membership called the fellowship and that's where graduates go after they've been on one of my programs I do have some one-to-one clients but not a lot and they tend to I tend to work with them on quite an intensive basis rather than ad hoc one, one off calls, if that Mm. makes sense. Mm. Um, And groups are my thing. I I just love bringing people together and just facilitating the magic, you know? So I don't just, I don't ever describe myself as a coach really. Um, Well I do because it helps people to understand what I do, but I'm part teacher, part mentor, part facilitator, part coach depending on what my clients need
1: yeah 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 I guess you know when you were talking uh, right from the beginning about tribes and communities not having a group program wouldn't fit would it
0: (laughs) absolutely absolutely but there's this thing like I had this motto you know nobody left behind and so it's you know when I was running my plus-size fitness business I didn't want to be the figurehead of it I didn't want to be the leader like, oh, everybody follow me, I'm wonderful, which is quite ego-driven. I really wanted to, and I don't know, the words sound a bit weird, but I really did want to empower the members to step up and to take a lead and to to be part of, you know, the team. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think I do have quite a utopian view of what online communities can become. Um, And I don't think I'll ever lose that because, you know, some of my most dearest friends are people that I've met on the internet.
1: Mm-hmm. So what um, about some, some top tips for community building uh, for, for people who are listening?
0: Sure. I always say it starts with you. Like you, you can have all the best tech. You can have you know, throw money at Facebook ads. But if you haven't got a clear idea on the type of leader you are and if you're not able to show up fearlessly visible, like warts and all, then you're really going to struggle to bring people with you mm. because leading a tribe is exactly that. You're taking them somewhere and you have to be able to communicate where you're taking them, why you're taking them, what's going to be great when you get there and why you're the right person to do it. And if you don't have clarity over that, then there is this disconnect and people understand you're building a tribe to make money from us. Yes. Yes. And, and that is what a lot of the internet marketers are talking about. Grow your social media tribe to sell to them. Mm. And that is not what I'm talking about. You know, yes, I believe we should be able to make money in our businesses, but I think that there's something beyond that. Um, so I think it definitely starts with, starts with you and your kind of leadership capability. Mm. I think there's also something around the simplicity of building a tribe. You don't need all the whizzy, whizzy tech. You don't need... Um, graphic design skills you don't need all of those things they are like the icing on the cake if you have them great but we can use the excuse of oh I don't know how this works and I can't do this and I can't do that tribes are built around simple ideas um one of the simple ideas that I had after I had my daughter was that I can't do races anymore because I've got a small child at home but I still want something to train towards what if what if we could race virtually what if i could race with all my clients all over the world and us have something to train towards something to celebrate and something to kind of acknowledge the community mm-hmm. so i come up with a virtual race called one big fat run and around 10000 women have taken part it's probably more now i've stopped counting but you know thousands of women all over the world have taken part in that race and that was back in the day when i had no tech skills no graphic design skills didn't know how it would work. You know, I I designed a flyer on PowerPoint. I mean, that was the extent of my tech skills. Um, (laughs) But people buy into an idea. Um, And so I think we can complicate things and we can think, oh, I can only be successful once I have all of these things in place. And we're afraid to muck up. We're afraid to have bad graphic design. We're afraid to have websites that are not great. My website's not great. I should probably invest in a better one. But... I know what's going to bring me in more income and more impact is not having a better website.
1: Mm. And often people can do things like that, a website, a logo, whatever actually is a form of procrastination and, and oh God, like
0: yeah, 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 absolutely. And your niche changes. So if I had spent money on my website, Two or three years ago i'd be spending it all over again because my niche and my messaging and my targeting has kind of changed Mm -hmm. and so a lot of people spend money at the wrong time in their business um before they're making enough sales and they think oh if if i have all this infrastructure in place i won't have to do the basics and sadly the basics is asking people, will they buy your stuff? <laughs> you know, and, and so many people it's don't want to do the sales. Bit, right? It's the scary bit, right? Um, and you know, unless you can, it's what, I, I run a sales challenge three times a year for exactly that reason. I'm like, there's no point in building a tribe if you can't activate them to buy from you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: you know? And yes, it's scary. And I don't think it ever stops being scary.
1: No, no. Exactly. It's
0: about rejection, right? That's what it is when we get a no from someone, it's them saying, I don't want you, which is rubbish. It's it's not to do with that, but that's what we make it be about.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. So one of the questions that I got from you when I said, what shall I ask you? <laughs> <laughs> None of which I've asked so far, um, was why does kindness matter?
0: Oh, yeah, this is a new thing. Well, it's not new. It's not new for me, but I'm talking about it more. I just know that the online world can make you feel unwell. And what I mean by that is there's so much noise. We can get triggered. We can get really triggered by what other people are doing. Like we think we've got something great and then we spot somebody else that does something similar. And now we're like, Oh, I don't think it's that great anymore. Mm -hmm. And we can, there are loads of like miscommunication and disagreements and little, you know, business relationships that go sour. And because we're online, we don't think, feel like we have to address them we'll just go oh I'll ignore that person online forevermore. and so I just think we are being whipped up into a frenzy at the moment and we're not being very kind either to ourselves or to each other and so I'm on a bit of a kind of mission really to help I don't know just to help people make sense of what's going on to notice it to find strategies just to kind of deploy a bit of self-care really Mm -hmm. around the triggering that happens, you know, the negative emotional triggers that we get from social media. And yeah. it's not just social media because it, it's other things beyond yeah. that. It's, it's not just scrolling through Facebook or, or being no. upset because you don't have any likes. It's a little bit deeper than that. I think it's more to do with the b- business relationships and how we get triggered even by our business buddies. Yeah. Right? And it's just kind of having a better understanding of what those triggers mean, how we can minimize them, um, and how we can be more committed as business leaders to put kindness like ahead of profit. Yeah. And I know that sounds really like utopian, but it's still, it is something I really care about.
1: Yes. Yeah, no, agreed. I mean, a couple of things. One of them, I'm, I'm with you on that. It's, it's the thing I kept repeating as we were going into lockdown um that you know be kind to ourselves and other people because you know that's the only thing that's going to carry us through sort of thing Absolutely. but also also, you know being in the hr sort of space around employee engagement it's the thing that the hr teams are working on so much Mm. and have been since it happened because the whole mental health thing and and so on is so important that they might not call it kindness and they may not say they're putting that ahead of profit but are having to put well-being and mental health right at the center of everything because there's no way to move forwards if they don't do that
0: yeah and i think what's funny is that i don't know i'm gonna launch a free facebook group on world mental health day that is around kind of kindness and and i know that people are gonna laugh they're gonna go you kindness and they won't get it because i am a little bit like bolshy and i am down to earth and straight to the point and i don't mince my words but at the heart of it, I do that because I care desperately. Yeah. You know, and so sometimes I am quite tough on my clients when I see them doing the same thing over and over again. And I'm like, we were here three months ago with you Mm -hmm. not wanting to put your prices up. And, and in the moment it can feel like that's really mean, but actually it's not, it's being really kind because no one else has got the courage to say it to you. Mm -hmm. Um, and and so often we, we mistake kindness. We're like, oh somebody asks for something for free the kind thing to do is to say yes no the kind thing is to suggest that they go off and make the money and pay for it properly because otherwise they'll always be looking for freebies mm-hmm. you know and, and so sometimes we are kind to everybody else to the detriment of our own uh mental health physical mm-hmm. health and the health of our businesses
1: absolutely yeah i was i was i was posing questions to myself yesterday about boundaries
0: (laughs) Mm, gosh yes
1: (laughs) so last couple of questions Julie firstly what about those days where it all goes horribly wrong how do you deal with those (laughs) days
0: oh and it does so frequently (laughs) um so last night was a perfect example of this I'm in launch at the moment and I'm doing a five-day challenge and yesterday was the day that I send out the email that says bye now and so I did that and was like Quite chuffed with myself and then I got a message that said that Kajabi which is the platform that I use for my courses had gone down like globally right So across the world no one can get into any of their programs and so the link that I'd sent everybody to wasn't working Uh and I was like are you kidding me like this is ridiculous and normally I would freak out but I am a little bit more zen these days and I was like what are the lessons? As hard as it was, I was like, what are the lessons? And, you know, some of the lessons were about kind of future proof in your business for things like that. Um, and also, like, will it make a big difference to my launch numbers? I don't think it will. I could make it, make it be about that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just use a lot of kind of, um, I guess they are like mindfulness um, techniques and, you know, positive affirmations and stuff like that. I have have to trick myself into thinking uh, more positively sometimes. (laughs) And I I am an avid swearer, so I'll have a good old swear first. And then I'll think, right, let me grab my journal and some, you know, some cards. I'll pull a card or something. You know, I'm I'm a real mix match of... um, down-to-earth like grafter and then I am a little bit woo as well so I, I just find and sometimes I just go out for a walk like if yeah. things are really bad I'm like right let me go for a walk or I jump on my peloton bike sometimes I have to get out of my head and into my body that's a big thing for me and that was the hardest thing in lockdown was not being able to to be physical yes yeah
1: yeah ah, peloton we, we we considered getting one of those during lockdown and um, we ended up oh. with we ended up with a, a less Rolls Royce version. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love my Peloton. It was, it was my treat to myself. Um, and actually, by the time it arrived, we were coming out of lockdown. But, yeah. um, but I, I did, um, one of my friends was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer just before Christmas. And I was supposed to do a 100 mile r- uh, race. Yeah. Um, and because of lockdown and all of that, the race got cancelled and it went virtual. So I said, well, look. I'm going to get the Peloton bike and I'm going to do a hundred miles in my bedroom. Mm. And so I, I, I did that. And so, mm. um, I love it. I love my Peloton bike.
1: Yeah. I, I, I do cycling along the nice seafront. And, and I look at all the, the apartments as we go by and, and say, one of those is the Airbnb I was supposed to have stayed in in June. <laughs> those days where you you get to live more and that's where I talk about getting to do more of the things that you want to do and less
0: of the stuff that you don't want to do what do those days look like for you yeah I mean they tend to be travel for me mm. you know I, I invest a lot in travel and often that travel is work related if I'm being honest I you know i spent a week with uh, Lisa Nichols who's a life coach in the US uh, I went out to Mexico and spent a week on a ranch with her and and you know some other people and I do a lot of travel for business, Uh but that lights me up. I do a lot of personal development work, and I get to see the world. And it it used to be running. It used to be, you know, I'd travel the world and run marathons. Um, I'm not so keen on doing that anymore. I'm like, I still want to travel, but maybe I won't run. um I used to say yes to everything I'd get phone calls from PR companies that would say you know we'll pay for you we'll, we'll send you out to Jerusalem to run the Jerusalem half-marathon you know no no expense spared and I'd go yay and then I'd get to the start line and going actually I don't I'm not sure this is a good deal here like, I, 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 still have to, <laughs> I still have to run 13 you know 13.1 miles and you know Jerusalem was is built on seven hills who knew that I didn't didn't really know that until I got there so you could have um, just stayed in Sheffield I think that's seven as well yeah (laughs) um but yeah I've been easing back on the running um and I want to find other adventures and to allow myself to say do you know what why don't I book a trip that isn't about work and just find new ways to live Yeah. so it's always about kind of pushing the boundaries of kind of what I will allow myself to receive.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Thank you, Julie. It's been so cool talking to you today. Really enjoyed it. And uh, I, just, I just love your, um, your, well, that whole attitude around the coming last bit, you know, and, and flipping it <laughs> all the time. I just think uh, it, it, it's, it's permeated the whole interview. So thank you. Tell people how they can find out more about you and get in touch.
0: Sure. So um, just do a Google search for Julie Creffield. Uh, my website is juliecreffield.com.
1: Lovely. Thank you. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you
0: so much. I've had a blast. Use your power to live more.